These are the facts. The world is in trouble, but we're going to straighten it out. We are going to build the wall, okay? Don't worry. America first. Together, we will make America great again. That's what I do. I fix things. We're going to straighten it out. Nobody can do it like me. Nobody. Nobody can do it like me. Honestly. Nobody's stronger than me. Nobody has better toys than I do. There's nobody bigger or better at the military than I am. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. Nobody builds walls better than me. Nobody's better to people with disabilities than me. Nobody's fighting for the veterans like I'm fighting for the veterans. There's nobody that's done so much for equality as I have. There's nobody more pro-Israel than I am. There's nobody more conservative than me. There's nobody that respects women more than I do. Nobody would be tougher on ISIS than Donald Trump. Nobody's ever had crowds like Trump has had. There's nobody that understands the horror of nuclear better than me. And nobody even understands it but me. It's called devaluation. The sale of the uranium that nobody knows what it means. I know what it means. Nobody knows more about trade than me. Nobody knows the game better than I do. Nobody in the history of this country has ever known so much about infrastructure as Donald Trump. I know the H-1B. I know the H-2B. Nobody knows it better than me. Nobody knows politicians better than I do. Nobody knows more about taxes than I do. Nobody knows more about debt than I do. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. It's unprecedented, the uh, weekly podcast with our eye on the White House. And uh, our man watching the White House is, of course, Adrian Collins, and you can subscribe on iTunes uh, for the uh, podcast on a weekly basis. And do leave a comment or, or indeed a rating so to help us to make it better for you. Anything else pop up for you this week? Over the weekend, Donald Trump spoke to CPAC 2017, which is a conservative conference. Now, last year he decided... And what did President Trump say? He had a lot to say. Um, last year he decided not to speak at all because he felt that he was going to be too controversial uh, and he was lambasted for that by Ted Cruz. But this year he did speak to the audience because obviously having won the election he's now very popular with the conservative crowd and he spoke, gave a sort of a stump speech but at the very start he launched into one of his favourite topics which is an attack on the fake news, just the fake news, the fake news media which I believe we have a little bit of audio clip of here. But I am... Only against the fake news media or press. Fake. Fake. They have to leave that word. I'm against the people that make up stories and make up sources. They shouldn't be allowed to use sources unless they use somebody's name. Let their name be put out there. Let their name be put out. Well, Adrian, of course, first of all, that is an attack on one of the basic freedoms of the press, that you don't disclose your sources. Because if you disclose your sources, uh, those people then get in trouble and Mm. nobody's going to talk to you anymore. However, um, he was also attacked for his Sweden comment. Mm. Now, it's really interesting when you looked at the Swedish papers around that time, Inside, um, there were an awful lot of things going on between uh, immigrants, and Sweden's taken more immigrants than anybody else, 
and the police. So we, he, although he referred to something and he was attacked for it, there were things going on in Sweden that week. It just didn't make the international press. And the Swedes are now inordinately defensive of what's happening in their country. Well, of course they're going to be defensive because I don't think they believe... What Donald Trump said in the context of his Sweden remarks were, the world is a mess, look at Sweden. As in, all of Sweden is a total mess. That's not what Sweden is. And they are often referred to, along with some of the other Scandinavian countries, as having a good taxation system, being a haven for, uh, you know, multiculturalism and letting people in and, and having a functioning, well-ordered society off the but back of it. But they don't have a functioning, and we're not going to talk about Sweden, we're talking yeah. about President Trump. It's a separate but he podcast. remarked about Sweden. And if you go to Malmo, which is the first port of call of migrants coming out through Denmark, who've blocked off migrant travel... Uh, the city has huge problems. Sweden has huge social problems. And anybody, and it, it, the problem is that, in, particularly in this part of the world, we're not reporting it. I, I wrote an article for the Sunday Independent, the best part of two years ago now, talking about migrant issues in Sweden. And I had, you know, the sub-editors coming on to me and saying, well, is this really true? Is this real? Does this actually happen? Because they couldn't believe it, because they'd read it nowhere else. So I'm not defending Trump, I hate President Trump, I hasten to add. <laughs> I'm not defending him. But his Swedish comment wasn't quite as outlandish as the liberal press made it out to be. That's all I'm saying. You do have a point there. Yes, but the problem, I suppose part of the problem is, this is the reports that have been coming out. First of all, like you said, he's attacking the freedom of the press and the press's ability to say, we spoke to, in, as the case he spoke in that, in that speech, he said, we spoke to nine people who gave us all this information. He's undermining that constantly by referring to it as fake news. And then he's saying that there are no, he said in that speech, about, there are no nine people. I know the people. Trust me, I know them. There's only one person, maybe two people. And that type of thing undermines what the press are working hard to report. So when he says something about Sweden, we can't tell if it's true or not because he's constantly saying everything is a lie. But, uh, but sorry, Adrian, the, the liberal press could have reported in all their attacks on Trump, right? They could have said, but by the way... There were four incidents this week or three incidents or one incident or whatever in Sweden this week where there were where where there were difficulties between migrants and policemen, where there are no go areas in parts of Swedish cities. So they could have reported the other side. They didn't. Now, one other thing problem for the press which I put to you, because I would see you as sort of king of the liberal free press, you know. <laughs> I'd sort of, you know, I'd be with President Trump where Adrian Collins is concerned. I'd see you as the fake news department. Um, Trump has dominated President the Trump. media. President Trump. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> President Trump has dominated the media, unlike not just any president, unlike any politician, unlike any film star, unlike anybody, anybody more than any person in my living memory. And the press who hate him are actually giving him more and more space. Absolutely. He's, that's how he got to the White House in the first place. He was given free... I think they did some study halfway through the campaign that all of the 
if he'd paid for the coverage that he got on all the news stations, it would have cost him billions of dollars. But he hadn't spent a penny. All he had to do was tweet. And he all he had to do was tweet something that nobody else would normally say or no other politician would normally say. And that got him onto the news. And that was probably a large part of the success of the reason why he actually won the election. It's because his name was in the news all day, every day. And once that, you know, once Trump, before he became President Trump, is drilled into your brain, then you don't necessarily, a lot of people go, as you, as you would here, you get leaflets in the door, you, un, you ba- vaguely understand some of the issues, but you just go and vote for the person whose name you probably heard most of the time in some of the elections. And I would say a lot of people did that because they mightn't have been that interested in exactly what they were talking about. They had a vague idea that Trump was uh, against immigration and wanted to build a wall, and that sounded like something they wanted to do. So he controls he controls the media perfectly. But equally, you're talking about issues that are that are happening in cities in Sweden. Maybe there was a there was a conservative commentator for Breitbart. He's an English guy. He's last I think he's Paul Thomas Anderson or something like that. Um, I can't remember his exact name. But he offered to send a liberal left pinko journalist over like myself to Sweden to see the chaos of Sweden firsthand. And they didn't really come up with all that much, bar going into an area where they, like you were saying, migrants or refugees had clashed with police and all they had was that group of people saying, just get out, we don't want to be filmed. So there's, there are incidents reported. Donald Trump could say Ireland is a mess because there were one or two shootings here a couple of weeks ago. And yes, that would be technically true, but it's not the truth. It's, we're not a mess. All right. But uh, if we now talk about immigration, OK, which is part and parcel of the whole news cycle, mm. this weekend Irish newspapers carry a survey of how what people's attitude is to migrants. Roughly half say, if they want to put them in my, in my parish, I'm OK with that. But a high percentage, and I think this is a very interesting comparison with the United States, a high percentage of the poor, the working class and the unemployed are scared of migrants that they will take their jobs or uh, be on welfare or, more importantly, that amongst them may actually be terrorists. In a week in which we see another, we don't know much about it, but we see another car with a driver armed with a knife drive in to a bunch of of innocent pedestrians. So President Trump is touching on the feelings of people. And it's very it's a very I suppose hot topic or a very I don't want to say easy topic to touch on, but it is a, a base fear of of people that's that type of thing will happen because it's so unpredictable. They're now you know, they they used to be battling sleeper cells and now they have to battle these what they were calling lone wolf people who go out on on their own and perform these acts. But part of that was his travel ban, that he wanted to tackle this by tackling the travel ban. And there was a leaked uh, Department of Homeland Security report that basically said that this travel ban just doesn't stand up to any of the evidence that they have on, first of all, the countries. So they noted that there were a number of countries... All of Half of the terror-related incidents that happened in the last five to ten years were from US-born citizens. And the rest were from a selection of countries including Pakistan, Somalia, Bangladesh, Cuba, Ethiopia, Iraq and Uzbekistan. Now, Cuba isn't on his banned list. Uzbekistan wasn't on his banned list. So he picked seven countries that were mainly Muslim countries he on purpose. He didn't pick seven countries. President Obama picked seven countries. They were hotspots being watched, yes. Yeah, President Obama picked those seven countries. 
But there were more than seven countries being watched. Yeah, so he well picked be. those seven from a list of lo- another number of countries that were all being watched. See, I, I think what he's doing is what every politician dreams of doing, which is connect with the voters. Yeah. And here's this. Connector par excellence. And we're criticizing him. Interestingly, um, the same kind of criticism was leveled at Ronald Reagan, where they talked about his zombie economics, and he was known as the great communicator. So what Reagan and Trump, I think, have in common is, one, they're both great communicators in different ways, and two, and most importantly, when the history of the Trump presidency is written, they will compare his economic policies to Reagan's, which were hugely successful, at least for a period. I would say they would probably also compare his management style. Reagan was a bit more of a, by all accounts, a hands-off manager. I've left you in charge because that's why I've appointed you. You know what you're doing. Uh, to paraphrase the old line, I, I knew Ronald Reagan and you, sir, are no Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I don't think Donald Trump is is a Reagan. I don't think he has. Reagan had a record of thinking and writing politically. Trump does not. Trump never, Trump blows in the wind. Whatever okay. is the most important thing, Trump will talk well, about. But our job is to look at the week. Okay. And last week was President's Day, which mm-hmm. Americans don't do bank holidays quite like we do. No. But President's Day is a bit of a bank holiday. And there are traditions about politicians going back to their constituencies. What happened? They do. A lot of them go back to the and they have these town hall meetings where they meet with their constituents. Members of Congress go back and they hear the issues that, you know, it's a vacation essentially. But they hear the issues and they meet with donors. A lot of them meet with their big donors in their home states. And... A couple of weeks ago, Jason Chaffetz, who's from Utah, he's also head of the Oversight Committee, so he should be looking at a couple of the issues that have come up over Donald Trump. He went to a town hall and he got a very, very hostile reception indeed. The president, under the law, is exempt from the conflict of interest laws. Do your job! Do your job! Now, for people listening uh, who are not nerds like you in terms (laughs) of American politics, Jason Chaffetz is head of the Oversight Committee. He's a Republican. Yep. And the audience is shouting, do your job. So the audience is really saying to him that he's not uh, overseeing the president. Is that what they're saying? Well, that he runs a committee that should be looking at for example, there's been a lot of talk over Trump's possible, President Trump's possible conflict of interests, that he runs a lot of businesses. For example, Mar-a-Lago, where he uh, met with Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe of Japan, and they had the news about North Korea and all of that, and they were answering phone calls in the middle of the restaurant. Now, the membership fees, shortly after he was he became president at Mar-a-Lago, which he goes to every weekend and therefore gets mentioned, like you were saying, across the news, all day, every day, from Friday to Sunday, membership fees there went from one hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollars, and all of, and it's also getting a lot of free publicity. So there are questions there. Has he completely divested himself from all of his businesses? There are questions there. His sons are still running a lot of his businesses for him. A lot of the countries that we talked about on the travel ban, that if it made sense to look at the hotspots, he would have taken perhaps Saudi Arabia. But there are businesses or deals there to be done. But so see- he's not looking. Chaffetz is not looking at those issues. 
And that's what people are chanting, do your job. You should be looking at these conflict of interest and these potential for corruption. Utah's a very interesting state. Mm. Um, because, of course, uh, this is uh, a Mormon state. Mm-hmm. Uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, also, uh, Provo is where the great university Brigham Young is. It's a very, and I am surprised that you will get that kind of reaction in Utah, which uh, Chaffetz's point was that these were paid protesters, uh, you know, rent a mob. Yeah. Now, this was... This is a similar vein to, so if you look back to when Obama first took office, the Tea Party movement really came into power and they were sending people around protesting at all of these events and saying pretty much the same thing, you know, getting their Democratic representatives under pressure. A lot of these people are turning up to protest about Obamacare and they are organised. Not that they're paid, right? A lot of people are saying that billionaire George Soros is paying these people. He's not. He has come out and denied that and you would need an awful lot of money to pay thousands and thousands of people to show up. But they are organised. But they are organised. There are groups. But there's nothing wrong with organising democracy. Absolutely not. And this is democracy in action. This is going to your representative when they're showing up because there's a long list of people. Once they saw that Chaffetz clip, they decided, "Mm, I'm not going to have a town hall because that looks bad. I'm going to be the next Egypt on the internet with a clip of me getting shouted at. So a lot of Republicans ran for cover. Yeah. All right, it's unprecedented. It's our weekly look at President Trump and the the White House. Uh, our man is, of course, Adrian Collins, and he, he watches it on a near-daily basis. You can hear us by uh, subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, and do leave a comment uh, while you're there, or indeed a rating for the broadcast, which will help us to make it better for you every single week. Um, Racism. It's been thrown around a lot. What have we been hearing? There's been a lot of allegations towards, in particular, Jeff Sessions. So a couple of weeks ago, Elizabeth Warren was essentially silenced by uh, Mitch McConnell, Uh, for reading a letter from Coretta Scott King, the widow of Martin Luther King, that in 1986 or 1984, I can't remember exactly the year, basically said that Jeff Sessions was not fit to be a judge then because of his record of trying to suppress the black vote. Now, this was obviously a huge issue, one part because they they made a kind of figure out of Elizabeth Warren. She became a, a, a person that was identified with now one of the big leaders of the Democratic Party. And that's important for them because she's very, she would be seen as very far left and if they can identify her as the person, then it'll push a lot of voters away from the Democrats. But secondly, the accusation of racism brought... It's one of the, I suppose, the brushes that they don't want to be tired with but at any cost. And in response to this, Ted Cruz went on a couple of, radio, or a couple of shows and, and trotted out the line that... The Democrats were the party of the KKK and that an attack on Republicans as being racist is an attack on the American people, the people who voted for Trump. So what they've done is they've turned that accusation of racism that they're getting thrown at an awful lot, they've turned it into a kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a positive, but they've found the line that's going to work, which is if they're calling Republicans racist and you voted for Republicans, they're calling you racist. So the Democrats now have to be very careful about when throwing that racist, fascist, Nazi term around because it's a very tricky one to use in that context. 
I buy it exactly. I think it's a brilliant defense because it's a true defense that if if you call Republicans racist, you are saying that every person who votes Republican is racist. If you if you say that you know Sinn Fein are all something, then the people who vote Sinn Fein are that something. So mm. it's 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 very clever by them. Second thing is that if I was a Republican, I would be hoping that Elizabeth Warren, who's the front runner for four years hence, gets Democratic nomination because she can't win either. So uh, Democrats would then go into consecutive presidential elections with a certain non-winner as their standard bearer. It's unprecedented. George Hook in the company of Adrienne Collins, who will be keeping an eye on the White House in the same way over a century ago. The Skibbereen Eagle kept its eye on the Tsar. Thank you for joining us.